All right, good morning. Think with me, if you, if you will, about the greatest gift that you've ever gotten in your life. And uh, maybe when you were a kid, maybe looking back on it now, you're like, that wasn't great. But like, you were like, oh, I was so excited when this happened or when this person got this for me. Uh, For me, I have not yet received the greatest gift that I will ever receive. And I say that because I'm speaking this gift into existence because I want it to happen. And not only do I know that this, or I'm hoping that this gift happens, I've even got it like played out in my mind how I'm going to get it. And what's going to happen is I'm going to be hanging out with a bunch of friends. And everyone's going to be looking at me kind of weird. I'm like, what's going on? Because they know something's about to happen that I don't. And so I'll be like, what's going on? And then someone's going to hand me an envelope. And someone else is going to pull out a phone. Like, they're going to record it. And I'm like, okay, what's happening here? And I'm going to open this envelope. And there's going to be two tickets to a Duke Carolina game in Cameron Indoor Stadium. And uh, it hasn't happened yet, but it will. And preferably before Coach K retires. So... Anybody wants to get on that soon, and in fact, they're playing a couple uh, next month in, in Cameron, or maybe is it this, this week? I don't know. So anyway, if you just want to make that happen, that would be great, and I was really looking forward to it. And I asked that question because th- we're going to look at this question this morning as we continue our series masterclass, and that's this: is what is the greatest gift that God could give you? Like, what do you actually think the greatest gift? That, maybe you think it's a promotion. Maybe you think it's a relationship. Maybe you know whatever it might be. What is the greatest gift that God could actually give you? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning as we continue our series. Uh, we're in this series called Masterclass. Uh, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and pull it out. If you don't, there's a black one somewhere around you, or you can use your phone. Uh, this First uh, Corinthians was a letter written by a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul within 20 years of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection to a church in Corinth, which is in modern-day Turkey, because they've got a lot of issues and things they're dealing with, and a lot of those things are actually even relevant to us today. And so we're going to pick up uh, where we left off last week, First Corinthians chapter 2. Starting in verse 10, uh, last week we talked about the wisdom and the power of God. This is the repeated theme that we've gone over the past few weeks, uh, that the power of God is, is strong and it's mighty, but it looks foolish to the world, uh, that God would uh, send his, come in the form of a man and die on a cross that looks foolish. It's not something that we earn, but he gives us his grace, that, the kind of opposite of how we operate. And so we're going to continue that thought this morning in verse 10. Again, talking about the power and the grace and the wisdom of God, this is what Paul says, verse 10. He says, now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. So God has revealed his grace and his power and his love, uh, his wisdom to us, to believers, by his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So again, what he's saying as we're beginning here, that God's wisdom is not a matter of human intelligence. It's not a matter of us getting our act together. It's not a matter of us figuring everything out and then God will reveal himself to us. No, God reveals himself to us, not because we earn it, but because he loves us, not because we deserve it, but because he cares for us. So it's not a it's not a quest of figuring it out on our own. Instead, of, it's, it's, it's a kind of a, a, def, a divine a disclosure, if you will, of God revealing himself to us. And so with that, here's what I want us to know as we begin in our text this morning, that God is revealed by his spirit. What is he saying here is that God reveals himself to us, again, not by us earning it or being really good or doing all these things, but by revealing himself to us, and he does it by his spirit, which, which what this means is, again, it's not about you know, being a good person or going on some sort of meditation or spiritual retreat or trying really hard, that if you want God to move and to reveal himself in, his, in your life, it's not about what you do, it's about what he does, and that's what he's telling us as we begin this morning, that God was revealed by his spirit. Now, you may think, uh, well, that sounds nice and good, I love the fact that we don't have to earn it, but at the same time, what if God does not reveal himself to us? Like, what if I desire God, but he doesn't reveal himself to me, then what do I do? I love one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible uh, is in Proverbs chapter 8. It'll be on the screen and I'll read it really quickly. And it simply says this in verse 17, that I love those who love me 
and those who search for me find me. Here's what I, I firmly believe, that, that if someone actually desires God and who he is, that God somehow in some way in the process and the, the way in which it happens will look, look different for every single person. But if you actually humbly desire God and want to see him move in your life, that what it, the promise here is that God will reveal himself to you in some way. It may take a week, it may take a month, it may take years, but the promise that we see is that if we actually earnestly desire God, he will actually reveal himself to us. That's what we see. And so we continue in verse 11 by Paul saying this, For who knows a person's thoughts except his spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God or the wisdom of God except the spirit of God. Here's his point. Uh, well, two things. One, really quickly. Uh, the point here is that the Holy Spirit is God. So you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is what we call the Trinity. The word Trinity never appears anywhere in the Bible. But what we see here is that God operates. He's distinct and yet the same way is one in ways that we can't fully uh, uh, comprehend, that God reveals himself through his Spirit. And his point here is simply this, that we can't really know God unless we, he reveals himself to us. That we can't know God unless he reveals himself or God reveals himself. And it's the same thing with us. Like you would not know unless I told you that I'm a big Duke fan. Or you would not know that although I'm not a big food person, Jersey Mike's number six on wheat, regular, I, I like that. And if you wanted to get, like you wouldn't know that unless I revealed certain things about me to you. And so it would be no different than God. Again, we talked about this a few weeks ago when I was up here about this guy who had this crazy scientific experiment that God was going to do all these things. And if he doesn't, then that means God doesn't exist. And what we need to understand is that God is not something we figure out and it's not something that we obtain, but it's something that he reveals to us. And here's the thing, he does not have to do it. He does not have to reveal himself to us. He does not have to give him uh, give us himself. And the fact that he does makes the gospel all that more powerful. And as a side note, uh, one of the really good things about God is that there's nothing that God can reveal about himself that isn't good for you. Now, for when it comes to you and me, maybe there are some things that are better left unrevealed. For example, and I know this is a generational thing, but when I go to the YMCA to work out, you know, you, you kind of change you know, before or after you work out. Like, listen, if you are in front of your locker, change, be naked, do whatever you got to do. That's fine. When you're not, you don't, like, you, you can, it's a towel. It's just a towel. You don't have to, you don't have to walk around everywhere. Like, I, again, I know it's, but it's like, come on, like, a couple of days ago, it, just show you how crazy this is. A couple of days ago, I was, uh, you know, they have, like, the sink area where you, you know, wash your shave, whatever, wash your hands. There was a guy who was standing completely naked, and I'm like, do you even do that at your house? Like, who shaves naked? And to make it worse, he had a towel, but he was standing on it. And it's like, can we just not like pick this up just like right here? Like, let's just, let's just like, there's some things that I would rather not know about you. And, and that's great. But the thing about God is there's nothing that he reveals about himself that is not good for us. And so we did, we want to seek him and we want him to reveal himself. He's everything about him is good. Unlike you and me. Okay. Unlike you and me. And here's, here's why. And here's why this is important for us to know. And here's why we need to understand that God is revealed by his spirit. Because how God reveals himself changes the way we approach him. How God reveals himself changes the way we approach him. What this ought to do for us is it ought to make us more humble as we seek him. Instead of saying, God, you must do this, or if I do this, then you have to show yourself. No, if we understand that he only reveals himself through his spirit, through his choosing, then it ought to make us more humble in our desire for him. And ought to make us more humble and grateful that he actually does love us and that he actually desires to show himself to us. Instead of it kind of being this kind of arrogant, God, if you don't prove yourself, then I'm never going to love and trust you. It should humble us to know that we should approach him differently. What this means, if we can only know God, if he reveals himself, 
then we should humbly ask him to do that in our life, right? And again, what I said earlier, the fact of the matter is this, that God does not need us. He does not need you. He does not need me. And yet he chooses to reveal himself, which is, again, should, should show us how magnificent the gospel really is. And so, as you're, again, you're sitting here and you may be like, okay, but again, that, that's, that's, that's hard for me to imagine or to, to believe. What do you mean I can't earn it on my own? What's so amazing about this, again, that God must reveal himself to us, is look what Paul says in verse 12 as he continues. He says this, Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us. What is he saying here? The spirit of the world is this kind of self-centered, selfish, self-reliant, do it on my own. The kind of this idea that we don't need help and that you and I can be pretty terrible people if we want to be, right? And I, like, I remember as a kid growing up, um, I, know I, didn't, I didn't think this is like a judgment thing at all. I just remember even as a kid thinking, I had a friend that got in trouble a lot and his dad would often tell him, I didn't raise you to do this. Like I didn't raise you to lie. I didn't raise you to steal. I didn't raise you to cheat. And I remember thinking even as a kid, I was like, but did you raise him to not do these things. Because if you have kids, you know this. What's the first thing a kid learns? No, mine. Like you don't have to teach a kid to be selfish. You do have to teach people to love and extend grace to one another. And so what Paul is saying is that God has freely given us this, that we don't have to earn it, that God does not have to reveal himself, and yet he chooses to. He freely gives us uh, the Spirit so that we may understand uh, God and that which in turn changes us. So as we follow Jesus, as we become closer to Jesus, yes, that changes how we live, but it's not to earn something from God. It's because the Spirit of God is moving in our life, and we want to extend the same grace, forgiveness, and mercy that we've ex uh, experienced from God to other people. And so the question then for us is simply this. How do we know, how do you know, if you have the Spirit of God in your life, right? If God only reveals himself from his spirit, and if for us to have a relationship with him, he must reveal himself to us, how do we actually know if God has revealed himself and we actually have the spirit in our life? The answer uh, is somewhat simple and at the same time somewhat complex is this, that do you understand and believe the gospel? So you, do you understand and believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he came and did what he said he was going to do, and through a relationship with him, we have the grace and mercy of God? Do you, do you know that or do you know that, right? Because there's a difference between knowing something kind of on an intellectual level, you kind of know what happens, and actually knowing it in such a way that it changes you. And let me, let me give you an example of what I mean by this. Are you familiar with, in the last couple years, it's become really popular to see people post, like, I was today years old. Like, have you seen these things? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, Things like everyday objects that are always existing and they have like functions that we didn't know it existed. And then once you actually know it existed, it like blows your mind. It's like, and you view that thing differently. So let me give you a couple of examples of today years old of how knowing something and knowing something is too different. One person said, that's be funny. How old were you when you discovered the tongue rests on the upper part of your mouth and not the bottom? Wow. <laughs> right? But if you're like, that's right, right? You were today years old. I did not know that until I found this out, right? Here's another one. Uh, I was today years old when I found out the L in staples is really a half open staple. You see that? Right? It's, been, it's always been there, but some of you are now knowing it for the first time. Here's another one. I was today years old when I realized the crusty crab was a crab trap. So SpongeBob... That, you know, Krusty Krab, you're like, I've never seen Spongebob. It's funny, okay? It's funny. This next one's probably my favorite. I was today years old when I found out the reason that Marvin the Martian was the ref in Space Jam is because he is both an alien and a Looney Tune. Yeah, crazy. Like, Finley watched Space Jam last week for the first time, and it's like, oh my, that's crazy. Right? I was, that, that's how old I was. Here's one more. Here's one more. 
I was today years old when I found out if you're not there, you're square because you are not around. Be there, be square. Get it? You're not around, right? Yeah, okay. Here's the point, right? <laughs> these things have always been there. They've always existed, but you didn't know. Now that you know, you view these things differently, right? There's a difference between knowing and believing the gospel and who Jesus is and what he said and actually knowing that truth in your life. And that is the difference between whether or not we have the Spirit working in our life or if we don't. And so Paul continues by saying this in verse 13. So again, it was freely given to us by God. We don't have to earn it. And we also speak these things in words not, or not in words taught by human wisdom, as we've been talking about. You don't earn it. You can't achieve it on your own. It's not human thought, human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. And so here's what he's saying. There's some confusion about what he means around this verse, but the point is the same regardless. That spiritual but not religious, if I could put this, what he's trying to say here in modern day terms, that spiritual but not religious is not a thing. In our culture today, we like to say I'm spiritual but not religious. And it, it's kind of a, a synonym for saying that nobody can tell me who God is. God is whoever I decide him to be, whoever I discover on my own. And you just need to know this from a scriptural standpoint. You can disagree with what I just said. You can absolutely disagree. I, don't, I think spiritual religious is, is fine. It's whatever you think for yourself. That's fine. You just need to know that scripturally, uh, what, it, what God is saying here, what Paul is saying here, is that you cannot be spiritual without knowing Jesus. You just can't. If you want the Spirit to move in your life, if you want to know who God is, you must first acknowledge Jesus for who He is, trust Him, and allow Him, once you experience and know Jesus, allow the Spirit to move in your life. If you do not know Jesus, according to Scripture, you do not know God's Spirit. That is how God has ultimately revealed Himself to us. That if you do not know God, you do not know His Spirit. And that's what He's trying to say here. And so He continues by saying this, verse 14. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit. What comes from God's Spirit? Wisdom, power, grace, mercy, love. You do not know these things if you don't know Jesus because that is how we get the Spirit in our life. So he continues again, but the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. I want to read again, if you, if you weren't here to catch you up what he means by foolishness, it's in 1 Corinthians uh, verse 22 through 25. I'll read it real quick. This idea of what does he mean by foolish? Paul writes this, in, writes this in chapter 1. For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, God, uh, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. What is he saying there? That if you were a Jew in this time, coming to know Jesus, you believe that dying on the cross cursed you. And so you're trying to tell me that the power and mercy of God is found in God coming and dying on the cross. To you, that would seem weak. That wouldn't make a lot of sense. That would have you question. If you are a Greek or a Gentile, if you are a non-Jew, you would kind of think that the power, the pinnacle of God's power found in an executed criminal is weak, is foolish. That's not what I would assume that God would do. What Paul is saying, that what you thought was weak and foolish was actually God's power on display for us, that's what he's saying there. And then, in, and he continues on by saying this, uh, God's spirit, because it is foolishness to him, so if you don't know Jesus, it's foolish to you. He is not able to understand it since it is elevated spirituality. Verse 15, uh, the spiritual person, however, can understand or can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. So here's, here's what we need to do, and I'll explain what he means by that. If it's true that God reveals himself by his spirit, here's what you and I need to do. That we need to receive God's Spirit, right? If you want God's power, strength, forgiveness, mercy in your life, and it's not about earning it, it's about uh, through God's Spirit, then what we need to do is we need to receive it. And what this means is that, it's, again, it's not that we go and do, 
but receive. And I know in this series a lot, we talk about how it's what God does for us and not what we do for ourselves. And yet, again, we know that's true, but I think we need to be reminded so that we actually know that that is true. And here's what I mean. Like, we have all probably been in a situation in our lives where we have struggled to receive something. Like, maybe somebody, not so much when you're a kid, because you don't know, like, what's going on and you'll take any gift. But have you ever had someone who had someone who gave you a gift that maybe took them a lot of effort or that you know cost them a lot of money and they gave it to you and your first reaction is like, no, I can't accept that. Right, I can't accept that. Now, Duke Carolina tickets are like $2,000 a piece. I want to go so bad, I will not reject that, okay? But there have been times in my life where I was like, no, it's too much. Like, for example, when I was in college, I was going to spend a summer in Lebanon, in the Middle East, on a mission trip, and so I was raising money for it, and somebody wrote me a $500 check, which at that time was like, you might as well give me a million-dollar check. I'm in college. I'm like, what? Right, and, and, and they wrote me a 500 check, and I remember thinking, well, yes, I asked, I asked for, for money, but, like, that's too much, Right, like you, you know, why did you do, like being confused? Like, I don't, I don't deserve that, right? And we, and so when it comes to God, that is true that you and I do not deserve it. But if we want to know who God is, we must receive it, even even if it seems like a lot, even if it seems like we don't deserve it, because the reality is we don't. Again, that's what makes the gospel so great, and that's what he's saying there. Again, verse fifteen: the spiritual person, however, cannot or can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. What he's saying here is this: it's not that a spiritual person or someone who knows Jesus cannot be rightly judged or questioned if they do questionable things or if you're kind of like, what's going on in your life? But what he's saying there is when we meet Jesus face to face, there is no one that can bring an accusation against you. There is no one who can find fault in you for anything because Jesus took all of your shame, sin, and punishment on the cross. That you and I are blameless, not because of us, but because of him. It's because of Jesus and his spirit. And that is what we get when we receive God's spirit. And then he says this in verse 16. He's talking about all these things about how we need to receive God's spirit, how it's not on our own. Then he says this, For who has known the Lord's mind that we may instruct him? Now this is a reference to Isaiah chapter 40. He's saying this, Who has known the Lord's mind, in other words, God's wisdom and power, that we may instruct him, that we can tell him what is right and what is wrong. What comes to God's wisdom and grace and mercy, here's what often happens, is that we love this idea of of grace and mercy for ourselves, but it can be really easy to look at other people, the people that we think are bad, and say, no, I don't think they deserve it. Like, I, the people that are like me, whatever, but what about the really bad people in history? What about the really bad people? And we can say, God, who are, that doesn't make sense that you, you're saying that literally anybody can come before you and be forgiven. Why would you do that? And this reference here to Isaiah is he's saying this, who are you to know God, that God would reveal himself to you? Who are you to know God, that you can tell God, in other words, what? To do, Because even though God reveals himself to us, he's still powerful, wise, and strong. He knows way more than you and I will ever know. And to me, this, this verse reminds me of the book of Job. If you're familiar with who Job was, it's this guy in this Old Testament who was wealthy, who had everything, family, kids, livestock, all, uh, everything. And he also loved God. And so basically there was this test between God and Satan. Satan's pretty much like, well, you only, he only loves you because you, you give him all these things. And so God allows him to lose his family, lose everything. He has physical ailments. He has all these things. And yet in the midst of it, he never denies God. If you're familiar with Job, he has a bunch of friends that come around and start talking to him and give him a lot of bad advice. And yet he still never denies God. And yet towards the end, though, he's very upset. He's kind of questioning, God, why would you allow this happen? God, why would you do all these things? God, it's not fair. I've been faithful. And here's how God responds. He uses a couple of chapters, and you can flip there, but they'll also be on the screen. He uses a a couple of chapters towards the end of Job to tell Job, who are you to tell me what is fair and what is just? He says this in verse 38. I just want to read a couple of them. 
Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Again, after Job was saying, no, it's not fair. No, God, why would you do this? He said, who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man when I question you. You will inform me. Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me, have I, have I, if, I, if you have understanding, who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know who stretched a measuring line across it. What supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and total darkness its blanket, when I determined its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place, when I declared, you may come this far, but no further, your proud waves stop here. So he's like, you're complaining, you're saying, where were you when I created the universe? Where were you when I created the earth? Have you ever stand in the ocean and been amazed by the power of the waves and the wind? Where were you? Or do you command the wind of the way? Do you? You don't. I do, and yet you're going to tell me what is right and what is good. He goes on to say this um, in, in, uh, in ch- chapter 39. I, this is just funny to me. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure it mean a lot, meant a lot to Job to me. I was like, oh, that's funny. He says this. Do you, know, uh, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Anyone knows when mountain goats give birth? I don't know when they give birth. Can you count the months they are pregnant so you can know the time they give birth? They crouch down to give birth to their young. They deliver their newborn. You don't know that, and yet you're going to tell me what I'm supposed to do, what I am supposed to know, verse 26 in chapter 39. Does the hawk take flight by your understanding and spread its wings to the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and make its nest on high? Again, the, the, the wind and the waves, the animals, do you create them? Do you command them? I don't think so. You don't even command the birds. You can't, you can't even tell me when a goat is pregnant. And you're going to tell me how I should operate and what I should do. Here's the last one I'll read, verse, uh, chapter 41. He says this. See, this is kind of towards the end of him, eventually showing Job that Job knows nothing compared to him. Can you, pull in a, in, uh, can you pull in Leviathan with a hook? Now, Leviathan could be a lot of things. In order to get us on the same page, you can either think of it as a massive crocodile or a massive, let's just go with a great white shark. It could be a sea monster. So let's just say like a 25-foot great white shark. Okay, Have that in your mind as we read this. Can you pull in a great white shark, Dylan's translation, with a hook, or tie its tongue down with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he beg you for mercy or speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you so that you can take him as a slave forever? Can you put him? Uh, can you play with him like a bird or put him on a leash for your girls? Anyone want to go swimming with a great white shark? No? Anybody, as a side note, when you were a kid in a pool by yourself, think there was a great white shark in the deep end? <laughs> right? Okay. So, yeah, you know, it's a scary stuff, right? You ain't going to mess with it. Verse 6. Will traders bargain for him or divide him among the merchants? Can you feel his hi- or fill his hide with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay a hand on him. The answer is no. You can't do any of these things on your own, right? If you're next to a great, you would, you would not do these things, right? So he continues. Lay a hand on him and you will remember the battle if you survive and will never repeat it. Any hope of capturing him proves false. Does a person not collapse at the very sight of him? No one is ferocious enough to rouse the Leviathan. Who then can stand against me? Who confronted me that I should repay him? Everything under heaven belongs to me. The question is, who are you? And this is how this is relevant to what we're talking about this morning. Who are you to tell God that he cannot give someone else grace, forgiveness, and mercy? Who are you? Now take it a step further. Who are you to tell God that you don't deserve it as well? Here's what I hear all the time. 
God can't forgive me. God, I've done all these things. Who are you? If God laid the foundation of the world, if God can tell the, the goats when to, have, when to give birth, right? If God can command the great, if he can do all of these things, if he was there, if he created you, who are you to tell God that you are too far gone for his grace, forgiveness, and mercy? You are no one to say that to him. Nobody. That is who we are. We are no one to sit before God and say, God, I have done too much to deserve your grace. If God says, I'm going to reveal myself through Jesus, and I'm going to give my spirit to anyone who trusts him. When he says anyone, he means anyone. And you and I are no one to argue with God and tell him I'm too far gone. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is how he concludes the section that we're reading this morning. I'll read verse 16 again. For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? None of us. And then he says this, here's the good news. But we have the mind of Christ. You and I have the mind, the grace, and the forgiveness of mercy in Christ, not because of us, but because of him. Not because of us, but because of him. So here's why we need to receive God's spirit. If this is true, that there's no one beyond God's grace, forgiveness, love, and mercy, here is why you and I need to receive God's spirit. Because if you do not have the spirit of God, you do not have God. What we see through all throughout Scripture is that if you do not have the Spirit of God in your life, yes, you can be a great person. Yes, you can be spiritual, whatever that means for you. But if you want God in your life, you need to trust and believe in Jesus so that the Spirit can transform your heart. If you do not have the Spirit of God, you do not have God. And you could be sitting here this morning like, I'm not totally sure about this Jesus thing, but I think maybe maybe this is, maybe there's truth to this. Maybe this is, there could be the Spirit in your life moving and showing you that God loves you, that God forgives you, that you need him, and he gladly gives himself to you. If you do not have the Spirit of God, what we see all throughout Scripture is simply that you do not have God. And the way you get God is not by trying really hard and being a great person and doing all these things and giving all your money. The way the way you get God is by simply receiving him, even though you and I do not deserve him. So with that said, here's the bottom line. Here's lesson seven of Masterclass, and that's this. The Spirit of God is not given to those who earn it, but to those who receive it. So if you're sitting here, again, if you're maybe one of those people that say, God cannot forgive me, or I've blown it recently and I don't deserve it, you need to know God does not give you grace after a a two-week period of being a really good person. God does not give you grace after you decide to read your Bible and pray much and then tell someone that you blew it. No, God gives you grace whenever you receive it. And if you want the Spirit of God in your life, you need to stop trying to do everything on your own and figuring it out on your own, but simply receive Him and allow Him to change your life. And so if you're not sure about this Jesus thing, you just need to know that this is that in the times of your life where maybe you stumble, maybe you fall, maybe you blow it, there's not a waiting period where you need to be good before God will love you again. There's not a waiting period where you need to make up for all of your wrongdoings before God will give you grace. God's grace is always available to you and to me because of Christ. And if you have the Spirit of God, you have God in your life. It is not about earning it. It is not about making up for every wrong you've ever done. It's simply about receiving the good gift of God's grace. And so again, maybe you've had a situation in life where you've received a gift and you felt like you didn't deserve it, so you should not earn it. Maybe you feel that way. The reality is you and I do not deserve it. We do not earn it. And this is why we gather. This is why we sing to sing about the grace and mercy of Jesus. Not that, we would, not, not that when we were great people, then God came and loved and died for us. What does it say in Romans? That while we were sinners, Christ came for us. Not because we earned it, because we deserved it, but because he loves us. And again, the Spirit of God is not given to those who earn it, but 
to those who receive it. The question is, do you want to receive it in your life? And the, the good news of the gospel is this, that all you have to do is accept it, even in the midst of your doubts, questions, pains, and sins. You can still receive it, and God will transform your life. Again, without the Spirit of God, you do not have God. And if you want God in your life, it's not about earning it. It's about receiving it. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and for your mercy this morning. Thank you that it is not about us trying to be really good people or trying to make up for our sins that we have done or we have committed. Um, but instead, that as we saw today in 1 Corinthians, that you have came to us, not because we're great people, but simply because you loved us. That the only way for us to know you is if your spirit reveals you to us. And again, for, in order for that to happen, all we have to do is humbly seek you, and you will welcome anyone into your kingdom who knows you and who loves you. The good news of the gospel is that it is something to be received, not something to be earned. And my prayer this morning for all of us in this room is that no matter what we may have done, no matter what we may be dealing with, no matter the questions and the doubts and the uncertainties that we have in our life, that we know that there is one constant, and that is you, and that is your grace, and that we would seek after that, that we are not marked by our, our, shin, our sin and our shame and our mistakes, that if we are in Christ, we're marked by God's grace, by his forgiveness and his mercy. So my prayer for us this morning is that we would lean into that, not lean into ourselves. And if there's anything going on in our life that is hard and that's difficult, whether we brought it on to ourselves or it happened to us outside of our control, the reality is the same, that grace is available to us. And so may we lean into that. May we lean into your spirit. May we beg that your spirit would move in our lives so we can experience your goodness. And may we remember it's not about earning it. It's about receiving it. And that is the good news of the gospel, that you came to give us what we do not deserve because you love us. And God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you for your son. In Jesus' name I pray.